the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. My name is Ash, and I'm joined with two members of my firefighting family. We have Todd. Hello. And we don't have Scott, but guess who we have? We have Rob. Hello there. Hello. Uh, Scott's away uh, at some training down in Vancouver area, and uh, Rob stepped in, and uh, he's got some stuff to chat about, which we were going to talk about last week. Uh, Rob was actually on an ice rescue course uh, that we were going to dive into a bit last week, but we got... uh, running a little bit late, and then we had a call, which uh, cut our podcast short. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, tonight, though, we are going to start off with a little bit of news. Um, it's actually quite a bit of news. Um, so, in Ohio Village, in, what, Palestine? On Friday, there was a train derailment. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty big event. Um, who wants to chat about that? Yeah, so just looking at the... I saw a couple clips on, on the news and stuff about it. I'm just looking at the... Uh, at the articles. So it sounds like um, the crew on the train had some sort of a warning. Uh, so they applied the brakes to the train and then uh, the derailment occurred. Um, and there's about 10 um, cars that went off with uh, highly hazardous materials on it as well. Um, and then there's many other cars that went off the rails mm-hmm. as well. Uh, big fire, of course. And then with those toxic fumes, it was carrying, uh, what was that? That was uh, vinyl chloride. Vinyl chloride, yeah. So very toxic. It was on fire. Um, so they end up putting like a one to two mile evacuation zone in place and evacuated, um, from what I understand, about 5,000 people in the community. Mm-hmm. So uh, pretty drastic. And that occurred Friday, so a few days ago. Yeah. And then it sounded like kind of Saturday and Sunday. A lot more information um, came about with the uh, toxicity. So they were really worried about the toxic smoke and getting into the water systems and everything else. Mm-hmm. So they kept that isolation zone in, in place. And at this point in time, they still have no real idea when people are going to be allowed back. Right. So vinyl chloride, we're not super familiar with it around here, but it sounds like uh, it was used at some point as a refrigerant and can be used, I guess that's one of the um, one of the parts to make PVC piping. Yeah, yeah so it sounds like... Mm-hmm. What's interesting, I was just reading, they're talking about nearly 2,000 residents. Right. And so a mass evacuation for something like that, it makes me think of our recent course we took in uh, ICS. Absolutely. That's totally where that type of command structure would come available Mm. um, for uh, evacuation of that. Yeah, something of that magnitude there would be, uh, yeah, pretty big impact to you. I mean, when you're one to two mile evacuation zone, uh, I mean, that's that's pretty large, um, and all the people that would be displaced, uh, businesses, um, I mean, obviously there's this train on a track that is now derailed on fire, I mean, that's going to be a lot of interruption in, um, like, freight, and if they're using that as a freight, freight line, if they're using that as um, a passenger rail line as well, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, tons and tons of in, interruptions to life. Um, yeah, pretty big event. Um, I don't know, uh, what the overall injury rating on something like, like that was, what, what the deal was, but a lot of people are displaced. Um, yeah. And as of right now, it sounds like they still, like Todd says, don't really have anything in place of like when that's going to relax. Yeah, exactly. And you know what, when you start talking evacuation orders of, of a mass scale like that, um, you know, back when I was with the, um, uh, CBRN team, uh, you know, we did a lot of tabletops with like, uh, we'd, we'd pick one of the large malls, for example, in sure. the lower mainland. 
Mm-hmm. And so we'd be doing this this scenario-based training with, uh, okay, here's a, a terrorist attack, there's a dissemination device uh, put into the ventilation system, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, all these people are affected, and they talked about the um, seclusion zones, and then how many people you're going to be dealing with there, but then also your secondary um, zone is going to be essentially the hospital. Because sure. there's going to be a lot of people that have self, self-rescued yeah. who are, have symptoms and now are going to the hospital and are showing up. And, and yeah, it, there is so many moving parts to it oh, as yeah. a, as a uh, ICS structure. Right. It's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I liked, I liked, I guess we'll talk about it later too in our ICS course, but I like our mind of thinking from the fireside is that when we were doing our course and we're doing our command structure set up about operations and logistics and all of that type of stuff. Yeah. We're already planning in our, in our setup, our scene and everything like that. Oh, we're going to need triage here. And, oh, we're going to need helicopters landing there. Uh, you know, even though that's not really what the planning for that course really is, it's about the, the command structure, mm-hmm. who's in charge, who's mm-hmm. delegating what to who and yeah. how. Uh, but I mean, our mind, our thinking is, oh, we're going to need to set this up. We're going to need to set that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. This is going to have to go there. Um, yeah. It, it's hard to step back a little bit. Like we, we, we all, we all run under the ICS structure. However, sure. generally our ICS structure is a small closed oh, yeah. scene. Right? Yeah, very small. So our span yeah. of control is, is spread out and things like that. And obviously, the ICS structure is built for large scale, and yeah. your span of control system is still in place for who you control and whatnot. However, I've always struggled with large tabletop exercises because I'm always thinking of, okay, if I'm IC on scene or if I'm tasked with this for a small scene, this is what I'm dealing with. Yeah. Not the big picture of, okay, no, now you're just sitting in an office, mm-hmm. and it's, okay, yeah, this is logistics, this is operations, and yeah, and the global picture, I guess, if you will, as far as okay, now who's who's making the call f- to pay for ten buses to move people, and who's mm-hmm. making the call to uh, shut down that hospital and move everybody to another hospital, and yeah. like there's so much more to it. Yeah. So the people that work in these large scale EOCs and and whatnot are worth their weight in gold because I would oh, yeah. I would not want to do it. I would no. rather say the boots on the ground. Yeah. IC commander, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely not something. And again, we can dive into more of that in a little bit here but uh it's definitely not in our wheelhouse for our our everyday like we started to think back of how many events that we had in our area say in the past five to ten fifteen years that these larger scale um you know eoc kind of structures get set up how like most of our our events are like a type five maybe a type four uh we might get into like an overnight event, mm-hmm. you know, we start thinking about our forest fires here locally, right? But even at that point, like, our command is handed off to uh, BC Wildfire mm-hmm. at, at that point. And is it, are we running a, a unified command or are we running completely separate because we're still operating under our authority having jurisdiction in town and we're doing our own thing, mm-hmm. which when it comes to BC Wildfire locally, that's probably the best because it gives us the most... I don't want to say freedom, but it gives us the most freedom to do structure protection, and where they're they're looking large picture and they want to try to protect the entire mountainside, mm-hmm. where we're trying to protect our local assets as well. Yeah. Anyway, we can dive into that later. Um, we have another uh, bit of news to chat about. Uh, there was a 
7.8 magnitude earthquake in uh, Turkey. Uh, sounds like that was today. Monday or, morning. Yeah, so Monday morning. Or Sunday. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which would, yeah, I guess our Sunday. Um, pr- pretty large event. Uh, 4,000 people right now from the last thing that we read are, uh, they're presumed deceased. Uh, rescue efforts are still underway. Uh, massive, massive scale event there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Any thoughts or comments on that? I was reading a little bit there. It sounds like, you know, where it happened, it sits on a fault line. This is yeah. not their first earthquake, major earthquake. I think the last one they had was 1999, where they had like 18,000 de- dead. Right. Um, obviously, that's a pretty worn, a war-torn area, um, Turkey, Syria. So mm-hmm. their infrastructure there is probably not geared towards earthquake safety. It's about shelling and bombs and stuff like sure. that and or they've already been shelled and bombed and those buildings are you know in some sort of partial collapse or disrepair ready yeah know. that's a that's a pretty massive earthquake too though right like and if that's the the epicenter of it yeah like that's that's a lot of damage some of the video content coming out of there was pretty horrific you know and then the the, the secondary um quakes and stuff too the aftershock yeah. that they're having were, were I think it was a seven five, right? You know, like still massive. Yeah, you know, and so rescue efforts have already started. I think was it ten hours or twelve hours later they had a big mm-hmm. one, and uh, so you, you look at some of these images and they have all these teams in place and tunneling through trying to get people, and now you have more massive earthquakes. Yeah, that's right. right? And you know what's crazy? Like, like Todd just said, the video that's coming out now, like you think back. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, like when we were a little younger, like you read about these things, you hear about these things on the news, but unless you're watching like CNN, you're not even getting a fraction of the information mm-hmm. and you're not getting like your local news source, unless it's a massive, massive event, like which this would probably get even on our local news, you would probably see something like that come across, but like you're getting a 15 second little video clip and that's really the only like eyes on the scene that you would ever see and now like everybody's got a phone and it's all going up on the internet and like you are seeing like live action in these events and it's just mind mind blowing what what this actually looks like like we would never see something like that locally here um i mean it's just it's crazy you know you look at like when like the Syrians were posting up all of their videos yeah like you're 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 seeing things that like you're right there with them and yeah the Ukraine Russia war same mm-hmm. example right they yeah, exactly. cell phone footage and TikToks and tweets that are out there now yeah it's insane they're posting everything and it's unfiltered and you exactly. know like these all these drones with their grenades are watching grenades get dropped on people and they're dying right there yeah. it's all over TikTok like right on your phone it's yeah nuts. It is nuts, yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, that's the positive and, and the negative of so, uh, our social medias, right? Like, we are we are really seeing a real live view into these events. And, you know, it's people in our walk of life, it's interesting to see the rescues as, as they happen and see, you know, what's unfolding. 
but you know again it's just it's just a different time yeah so sometimes you have to have that unfiltered because sometimes we just don't know mm-hmm. and sure. you know sometimes the stuff that we're fed you know the the gussied up side of things or the you know just the small snippets of stuff you know unless you actually see the the full unfiltered stuff yeah we like sometimes I say, just it's, don't it's know those 15 second yeah. clips don't don't really tell tell a whole story yeah. but when you're watching a live feed like that is what is happening these, yeah. these people are boots on the ground and, um like you are seeing live action of what's happening so anyway um yeah i mean four thousand plus as of today i'm sure that uh, number is gonna rise as res- as rescue efforts yeah. can continue yeah. um yeah, so uh, watching that unfold and thinking about everybody involved over there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a, a relatively quiet week. Don't I know we it. don't want to say that, but I mean, at this point, I'll I'll jinx it and <laughs> give me something. But uh, yeah, it's been, you know, so I, I just got off of duty and <clears throat> it was the lamest week <laughs> that I've had. Um, we had one, and like I don't want to like, yeah, we had one good MBA, but we had we had one MBA that we actually had to do some work on, and the rest of it was all alarm calls, and like some of them were legit alarm calls where we had to go do do some things, but yeah, it was all. Don't mind me. Yeah, <laughs> busting up the knife again. Yeah, it, it was all very kind of status quo. Go and yeah. do our job, and leave, and everybody left everybody came 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 back safe um all of the you know residences and callers were all safe like these are the things that you know you're obviously hopeful for Mm -hmm. but it's all status quo stuff right um we then went into uh an incident command course over the weekend which was I mean anytime that you get death by powerpoint (laughs) is death by powerpoint you know what? But it gets the guys chatting, and it gets, yeah. you know, there's a ton of value in it. And I'm super happy that we're able to do them. Um, but we, we can't really make a podcast about it. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, it is nice to get everybody together, sit sit down at a table, do some of those tabletop discussions, um, you know, do those pretend scenario and events that you have to walk, walk through and plan out. Um, there is a time and a place for it, and you know, it was a ton of value that we're bringing back to the department. Um, I'm grateful that's going to be the last one of those that we have for a while. We actually have another one coming up with a different group um, next month, which I'm actually really looking forward to. Um, more of an emergency scene management style. Mm-hmm. But uh, so that's coming up. But I don't know, Rob, what did you think, think of the course? I, I seem to remember some of it, even from the first one I took. Mm-hmm was the 100 there seemed to be some similarities too but i think it highlights some of the things that we do or don't do whether it is on scene stuff or Mm. after call uh, briefing debriefing that type of stuff you know i definitely find some great takeaways from us doing debriefs after specific calls not every call needs a debrief uh, you know, a, a major call, a massive call where we utilize everybody. That's where a debrief really um, is beneficial for everybody that was there, even sure. those that weren't yeah. there, to paint a picture of what happened from each 
um, each captain or, or each quadrant of the, the scene or whatever was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, those are some of the takeaways I, I got from it. Yeah, for sure. I think very, very similar for myself. Um, you know, just brushing up on some of our skills. I think we have, uh, we have come a long, long way. Um, just with how we, we, we run our command structure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely proud looking back 10 years ago until now, kind of like where like we as a group have come. Mm. Uh, we, we've had some faces come and go uh, in in the command and as well as firefighters. And I think that's definitely propelled us to um, some greater levels. Uh, I think yeah. we're, we're definitely a work in progress. Anytime that you, you think otherwise, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, but knowing that, hey, like we've, we've come so, so far, uh, you know, we definitely have a lot to build on. Um, something that, you know, I think we all in the leadership group um, can recognize mm-hmm. and things, things that we can continue to you know, strive, strive to be better. Um, I, think, I think even too, there's the fact that we offer that course to anybody that wants to be able 100%. to take it. Mm-hmm. Whether they want to be in command level or not, they at least get an idea of what's, what's involved in the command level. Sure. That's not just the get together and and do some cool stuff. Unfortunately, you know this this is not cool stuff, but it it just shows what we have to do as as officers, um, and what things we have to be thinking about. That's right. Um, and you know, there's a lot of back end stuff that we have to deal with too, or paperwork, or um, yeah, just all that type of stuff. Yeah, and I think the big thing, like we kind of were chatting before we <clears throat> hit record here tonight, and the big thing, or the big takeaway for I think a lot of the other firefighters that take these type of courses as well, it, like you said, Rob, is just understanding the big picture of the ICS structure of how in depth it can be, mm-hmm. and just to understand, okay, why we're pausing, why you know, why there's certain structures, you know not to get on the radio right away and be, you know, asking to speak to command every two seconds because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you need that moment. Yeah. Get your plan in place, have a face-to-face with your officer, get your, your instant action plan going, and then move forward. Like, just for everybody to understand that, hey, you know what, we have our tasks, we all are, we already have our, our truck assignment or whatever, mm-hmm. and then break it down and just understand that whole structure. But also understand enough of the critical beginning components yes. in case an officer isn't there sometimes. Yeah. Because sometimes it will just be a, well, hopefully, a semi-senior firefighter in that jump seat. Absolutely. But sometimes there isn't. Sometimes we, we have low manpower and mm-hmm. you can be a fairly new firefighter in that jump seat yep. with two, three guys in the back that are also fairly new. Yep. And, you know, it's not the perfect world, but it happens. This is reality. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And it comes, comes back to a bit of a discussion that we were having as well that, you know, sometimes... We'll be on a course on a Saturday or on a Sunday, and the tones drop. And, you know, the fire doesn't care who's sitting here. The patient doesn't care who's sitting here. If you can fill a truck and get, you know, hands on scene, boots on the ground quickly. Mm-hmm. If I've got four officers and one firefighter in the first few, you're still going to work work your ass off. doesn't matter. Like, we're out there to do the job. Yep. And that might mean that that next truck officer is a senior firefighter. And, you know, just 
we empower our guys to step up to fill a role yeah. until they can be relieved and by chatting with the instructor he has embraced our kind of way around here um i was chatting with the chief af- after the course briefly and like there was a time when like guys were like ah this guy because he's he's pretty he's pretty black black and white and we run a lot of gray area mm-hmm. and as things have developed over the course of the last couple of years we had what we used to call the playbook and that was kind of our like governing paperwork that made sure that we were meeting all of the minimal the minimum standards in training and certs and all that stuff and now the province has come out with the new version of that which is what have they called it now the minimum the minimum standards for structural firefighters um some something like that they've made it a lot harder to say but it's the exact same exact same policy but they've added a few more things to it kind of outlined a couple extra things that were lacking previously but it's still when you read it it's it leaves a lot to interpretation and chatting with the instructor who i think had a hand in rolling this out he actually says yeah it's, it's all a matter of how you interpret it what your authority having jurisdiction will allow locally and that can dictate how you guys kind of operate moving forward so yes you have to get sign off on a lot of the jprs but that doesn't you know necessarily mean that you're going out there and you're paying an ass load of money to get a course yeah you can do so much of that stuff in house so anyway mm-hmm. Back to the gray area. This guy has embraced the fact that we we live in in the gray area here, and I think a lot of things with the fire service they go black black and white because they need to have a line. But the reality is, what happens once the tones drop is you need not freelancing, but you need a little bit of that decent decentralized command mm. where you know what that uh, leader's intent where. You know what? It's not up to interpretation, but it kind of is. Like, I can say to Todd, hey, Todd, I want you guys to go do interior attack, right? I'm not telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm telling you the direction that I want you to go, mm-hmm. and now it's up to you guys to figure out, okay, like, what's going to be the best, blah, blah, blah. I might say, hey, I want you guys to go and do interior attack, uh, positive pressure ventilate, whatever, but likely not. Like, that's going to be, I'm, I make a plan that I want my, my first officer and his team to go and do this. And then while I'm looking after something else and back to that, giving us a moment to think if I already know that that truck is going to go and do that, I'm looking bigger picture already again. So I've stepped, I've stepped out of the attack role now. I know that it's going to happen. And now I can start, start looking bigger picture. What am I going to need in 10, 10 minutes? Like, what is this going to look like? Right. And that's super important. Like you just said, like, so, okay, you tasked me as the, interior attack team we're entering on let's call it the alpha door mm-hmm. you know you're not saying hey i need you to uh create a isolate a, a flow path or do this or do that like just that short hey sounds like fires on the first floor enter on the alpha side yeah there you go okay copy that now when we get there we're going to decide reading the smoke and reading everything else okay are we doing door control are we going to be asking for a fan yeah we're doing pause pressure attack 
that that's kind of the next phase of that mm -hmm. you know and if we're just doing door control we're pushing in and if we find something and hey you know what we need to actually ventilate now i'm mm -hmm. um, making that calm communication back out and moving forward from there mm -hmm. but again like i said it's that it's that intent and then we can build <clears throat> from there sure i was thinking very similar the same thing actually mm -hmm. what you just said so yeah yeah, yeah i think so kind of like you know reading that <clears throat> chatting with the instructor about just a, a lot of things. There's there's a bunch of departments locally here that operate um, through a regional district, um, and they are the quote exterior only operations level. But they're not really, <laughs> right? They're they cannot enter an IDLH environment, so they can't go into an involved department. Mm -hmm. But they can go into a structure that is on fire and indirectly attack it down the hallway. Or they could do a water application from the outside and then make a push inside. Yeah, you could do that. That's a prime, prime example. Yeah. Do that exterior water application. Hey, it looks like we've got a knock on. We still need to put it out. Sure. So now we're going to ventilate. Hey, now it's not an IDLH environment. Mm -hmm. Now we are going to go in and put it out. Yeah. And I think it comes back down to that interpretation of the rules. So as some of these departments are interpreting this, they're like, they put on this SCBA to get close to the structure, but they're not going to push in. Like, no, no, guys, like, you can go in. You just, you've got to make a knock on the fire first. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time that is going to mean either an exterior water application or a small room and co contents fire that you can attack from a hallway. Mm -hmm. You know, like maybe the best course of action is to vent from the outside, make a push from the inside, and then attack it from a hallway, you're still not directly in that IDLH environment. That is well within the rules of the new playbook. Yeah, if somebody looked at those rules, or I don't want to even call them rules, if somebody looked at the playbook and interpreted it as, okay, we're an exterior-only department, <laughs> I'm sorry, what's the point? Yeah. I mean, every fucking building's going to burn to the ground. Yeah, eventually you, you, have, eventually to you have to go inside. Well, yeah. and what's stopping you from doing a patient rescue? Oh, I can't go inside because mm -hmm. I can't go inside? No, we're going to go inside. And you you're in there for X minutes and then you're back out. Yeah. Where where are they? Get that intel. You know, can, that's we do, that, can we do a growl? Or yeah. yeah. That's, that, that's your, that gray area. Oh, yeah. Sure. And this can be debated <laughs> and it has been debated. Sure. <laughs> and I think there's a bit more clarity now in the new system, which is great. Um and a lot of people are embracing that. Um, I, I had a chat with a local uh, deputy chief today, actually, about that. And, uh, you know, about how things are interpreted and, like, what their SOGs state that they're allowed to do and, and, and. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's a positive shift moving forward. Um, it's, it's all about what your, uh, you know, department SOGs are. And what you train, what level you train to, because um, I started to think back again. So in in the past, how 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 many years? Look at all of our large scale events that we've had, the big big fires. How many fires could we and did we attack with that same mindset, where you come in, exterior water application, you you got to knock on the fire, and then and then you push in, and it's going to be followed with uh, positive pressure vent. Or hydraulic, hydraulic, or whatever. whatever. Um, you know, maybe you are going up on up, up on the roof and creating 
a flow a flow path to help with that uh, event team. Um, but there's options there. Like I look back to all of our major structure fires, and like we've saved a shit ton of houses that we started on the outside mm-hmm. and then pushed in. And I laugh, you know, going back to that quote of like we don't do yard work. Like everything's got to be pushing through the front front door and making the knock from the inside because it's quote unquote faster. And I just don't buy it. Like the science behind it doesn't make yeah. sense. No, you need that. You need that exterior water application, and then the constant cool and cool environment. Get rid of that stuff, and then mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Especially I mean, there's like sorry two and a half hose that you can put a massive amount of water. Yeah, in you start cooling right away, big and then transition yeah. from there. But I see benefits to a transitional attack, mm-hmm. where in the past ten years ago or or later there would be arguments. Oh no, that doesn't work. Well, we can show. That it actually does. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. There's the science UL behind does it. all the studies for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's perfect. I mean, it's firefighter life safety. It's patient <laughs> safety. Um, you know, getting a knock on that fire from from the outside, you're just improving. Yeah. Um, what whatever percentage of rescue that you have, mm-hmm. um, and even if it's not a rescue, just getting that that knock on the fire is greatly increasing the probability. Of saving whatever of that structure. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we, we've kind of gone off of the nature <laughs> of, of the course as we do, but uh, I mean, but those are some of the side com- conversations that happen in these courses. Does it have anything really to do with the ICS structure? Yes and no. Um, but those are the conversations that you have in these courses because there, there's always a comment, and then there's a small side side chat. And then next thing you know, you're diving deep into like we like what we just did here. It has nothing to do with what we were just saying, but a ton of valuable information because a lot of smart people that have a shit ton of experience just started. Hey, this is how I can decipher that. Hey, this is what yeah. we've done in the past. Hey, this is this is where we've found success. Getting in front of somebody, getting other people in front of you, um, like-minded individuals that have a different level of service. And a different level of experience, there's so much value, and that's where like I always come come back to doing some mutual training, some mutual you know some mutual tabletops with you guys would bring so much value because uh, everybody has a different level of experience, and I'm not saying experience like qualification experience, just life experience on the fire ground. Yeah. So getting that information across and out in the open, uh, there's so much that we can learn from each other. Um, so I would say that for me, back to what we were saying, was probably the biggest takeaway that I got from the course. Because this was just a very small add-on to the course that we have, we've, we've all taken before. Uh, so was there a ton of value? Am, am I a better firefighter today because of the course I just took? No. Am I a better firefighter today because of the course that I took and the information that I got out of it, which might not have been directly attached to the course? Yes. Mm-hmm. So tons of value. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, and that's why getting those discussions going in class like that is, is one of the most beneficial components mm-hmm. sure. for everybody. Yeah. And that's why it's, it's good for the newer firefighters to take those same courses as us. Yeah, absolutely. We had our newest officer was there and he was healthily involved. We had another firefighter with a lot of experience. He used to be with you guys and then he's up here now with us. And, um, he's about as close as it gets to to being an officer without being one. <laughs> uh, definitely a senior firefighter. Uh, 
held in very high, high, high regard around here. Um, you know, will likely be an officer one day. Um, having somebody like like that come in there, like that's the guy that you want to see in that jump scene if if, if there's no officer available. Absolutely. And you know the the experience, the knowledge, and like he started to chat about. You know, we had one of our uh, scenarios that we had to tabletop through, and we started chatting about it was a search and he's like i i can tell you from my experience i have x x amount of years experience as being a firefighter x amount of experience being on search and rescue so he's, he's very much the same path that i took and um he's like i from my experience this is how i think that this would likely play out and he was on a separate group that i was in and both of us kind of came up with the same thing <laughs> we're like mm-hmm. hey see like this is great like all of our past experiences fire and else is leading us to a same decision and we weren't even in the same group so again like that's what gets people thinking and having that mindset and having that past past experience is invaluable yeah totally yeah so that that was uh you know the driest the driest course that we (laughs) that we managed to find uh some pretty major positives um one of the other positives that came throughout the course on sunday um we were halfway through our death by PowerPoint uh, prior to our celebration of learning, which is funny. I text the missus, and I'm like, oh, we're, we're about ready to do our celebration of learning. She's like, I have no idea what you're chatting about. <laughs> I'm like, we're going to take a test. She's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> so it was just prior to our test, um, and my phone goes off. And hey, buddy, buddy opal, it's Todd. We're going to need you guys with your side-by-side, potentially. You were working on car. Yeah. So, without getting into major detail, I mean, the patient was fine, but um, kind of walk us through how, how that came about. Yeah, so basically my partner, we got uh, tagged on a call <clears throat> to go uh, deal with somebody from a, uh, at a fall. Um, and we're looking at the information where we're going, and you know it's up on this uh, uh, golf course area. We're like, all right, well, we made, we of course made the joke, like, who the hell's golfing this time? Right. Which is... Because there's still snow on the ground in in a lot of the outlying places. But also sometimes, like, we've had years where uh, it's not as wet this time of year, and the golf course says, hey, yeah, we, people do go out and plink around on a couple of holes. Yep. Sometimes, as long as they don't damage the greens and the turf, if it's going to be strong enough. So, we made the joke, like, actually, I should back up. Just prior to that call coming in for us, we're doing our car check and putting shit in, our, in the car, and, and we're making jokes about our helmets that we that we have right. for the ambulance. We're like, oh, man, I don't even remember the last time I wore this stupid thing. And we're, we're, both, <laughs> we're both chatting about it, and my partner's like, he's like, yeah, it's well, a couple of years ago, we were talking about the same thing. We didn't have our helmets, and next thing we're doing this call with the quads and SAR, and and we couldn't go on the quad because we didn't have our helmets. We're like, ah, that's stupid. Yeah, we'd make sure we'd, we'd bring them with us if we ever got a call like that. Yeah. Hey, you're going for a fall. Okay, jump in the ambulance, start driving. I'm looking at the cab. We're like, ooh. Okay, golf course up high. We're like, shit, gates are going to be locked. So I'm like, you know what? We might need to call the fire department for the side-by-side. Get some access here. Because yeah. I, I am not driving this ambulance onto the golf course and get it stuck. No. <laughs> this is not happening. No. It was not going to go there. <laughs> so uh, we were already having this plan. So I texted you guys like, hey. FYI, this may be coming in. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, we get their gates locked. The person comes down and meets us. 
and it gives us the, the, the scoop. We're like, all right, 100%, yeah, we need access by side by side. It's a hell of a hike up yeah. with all of our gear. It's just not going to be good. So get uh, my partner called Dispatch, call for you guys. And in the meantime, you guys already started rolling out and having your discussions here yeah. as far as which which crews to, to come up and help. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I'm like, text you guys back. I'm like, you guys coming? <laughs> and Ash is like, uh, call us. I'm like, we did like five minutes ago. And yeah. long story short, it sounds like our dispatch hit the bed and didn't call the fire dispatch. But right. So luckily, <laughs> we didn't wait for that. <laughs> we kind of went off uh, the reservation there a bit, and we. Uh, so as the information comes available to us, uh, one one way or the other. So we we had that chat here. Okay, so this is kind of where where we we know it is. We know we're gonna have to get access so that there's at least yeah. one lock gate. Yeah. Um, I don't know where where they are. They do have some access trails, um, and there was a bunch of us here. We're right in the middle of the course, so there was a good variety of people, and we had a couple of firefighters that were just out in the bays doing some extra training. So we walk out here and we're like, "Hey, you know what? Two of us are going to roll in the officer truck." So Rob and I went in that. Uh, a couple of other officers jumped on our side by side, and we hopped in the rescue because we didn't know what kind of equipment we might yes. need out there right yeah. so rather than the first thing is hey we're in we're in the middle of a course let's just grab what what we think we need and then go and then we're like no nah, pause we don't know what we think we need mm-hmm. so let's bring everything and that can just get parked at the gate and if if, if we have to shuttle we can shuttle well, let's yeah. bring all of our stuff up there okay check so we all start rolling up there there's a bit of a snafu there with dispatch but that all got sorted out quickly uh we we got on scene and you know, right away we're like, yeah, the gate's locked. But they're doing some construction to the golf course, and there's a portion of the fence line that was mm-hmm. tore out at the moment. So it was open enough, and just it was definitely going to take take the ambulance up there. But the side by side blast blasted up there easily, yeah, exactly. and the office truck made it up there really easy as well. You know, big pickup truck, four by four. So we got on scene. We had a quick face to face there. Grabbed everything that we need. Most of it went in the side by side with yourself, and yeah. you went up with our with our guys. We yeah. picked up your partner and the rest of the extra gear, threw it in the back of the officer truck, yeah. and then we followed suit up behind you guys. Yeah, which um, which worked perfect because we were kind of getting our game plan together on on scene down below there as well. Like, okay, it sounds like it's just a just a simple simple fall, so we're not going to need potentially a lot of other stuff. But you know what? It's cold and wet out, so yeah. we had we already bagged up some blankets ready to go. We had our usual trauma kits and pain management, um, and then we're like, you know what, let's bring the clamshell and stuff like that in case yeah. we need some sort of lifting device as well. So we had that all prepped, so that worked out great. Mm-hmm. By utilizing all that in your in the officer truck in the side by, and then of course that side by side beetles up the pass like a hot dam. So we oh, were, yeah. we were yeah. up there in a matter of minutes. Yeah. Whereas if we were hiking, it would have taken us twenty minutes. Sure. And then and, you're up there. And we probably would have got lost. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So, yeah. I mean, so it was on hole four, which would you think oh. is going to be super easy to get to. Yeah. But there's a massive, not like a massive ravine, but there, there is that runs kind of diagonally right through the course. Yeah. So there's only really one way to get there. And it was perfect because I'm in the back seat and Warren was the officer in side by side and he golfs yeah. at the time. So he's like, yeah, okay, go up here. You're going to take this path, go up here. And you can see the whole time I took a video of it. And the whole time he's just pointing at him which way yeah. to go, which way to go, and and we were there and a hot damn. Yeah, minutes, man. It well, was fast. Full four is a part five. It's a long 
it's a long hole too. Yeah, so sure you could have been and I way no at idea. the far end. So <laughs> mm. yeah. I, I think I've golfed there twice and both times were a stag and I was drunk. So and I'm not a golfer, so Exactly. <laughs> Playing some hockey no I have really no idea where I was going. Yeah. And then what so once we got on scene, I mean, you know, patient was great. There was somebody yeah. there there with her. Um, it was a simple lower lower extremity injury. Very um, easy assessment package. She was yeah. able to sit in side by side, no problems. And yeah, yeah, we were down in the ambulance in under ten minutes. Sure, yeah, it was yeah. fast. I was, you know, I, I was thinking on on our way out there. I'm like, this is going to be the best way to get you guys with all of your gear directly to the patient, mm-hmm. and then get the assessment of what kind of condition the patient's in. And once we got on scene, knowing that we had surgeon rescue in our pocket, so they have a side by side that's equipped to actually transport mm-hmm. a patient. Right. So. I mean, we, we were, and the patient was, was lucky that it was just a single, a single injury to, I don't know, like rolled her ankle, yeah. like, like whatever the deal was, but, um, very minor injury, just couldn't walk out. So basically was able to support herself on one leg, uh, had, had to do a quick pillow split, nothing, you know, nothing major, but if it had to come to the point where, yes, we are going to need to put her on a clam, um, having SAR as a backup is another awesome opportunity as yeah. well. We just needed to get eyes on scene to see exactly. 100%. Yeah. I mean, we had a really good report um, from the person that came down and, and met us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we already had a pretty 100% picture of what was going sure on. Yeah. But I'm never going to base everything off of that until we get eyes on. Yeah. And that's why having you guys there at the side-by-side. Too sweet. We were there right away yeah. and quickly realized, oh, yeah, this is minutes, quick assessment, quick package, boom, and, yeah. and then... Let's get her in, we're done. in the ambulance. Yeah, like she was, I don't know how, how long she was down prior to you guys getting the call. Um, people in general are not quick to call for help. Like, ah, this hurts. I'm just going to sit this one out for five minutes, which turns into 25 minutes. Where she's like, ah, shit. I guess now I should probably call. Well, it's a half an hour, whatever. Like, I have no idea if that was the case now. But that is human nature. Of, mm-hmm. Like, if I'm not going to call, or like if, if I don't, if there's any, ah, I'm going to try to figure this out. Yeah, no, I need to call. All right, well, let's, now that we're here, let's minimize the amount of time that this patient needs to sit out there. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, you know what, it was it was kind of one of those those fun calls. Like, everybody on, on, on scene was super happy to be there, super happy, you know, super happy to help. Uh, there was a couple people that, you know, there was the male gentleman that was walking his dog. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was with her or just passing by. Um but he was a big, big help. Uh, you know, the lady that came to, to meet us at the gate happens to uh, to work with Rob. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it, it was just an overall, it was a nothing call that was crazy fun. Yeah. Just because of the nature of it. Like we, us getting to work together is always a blast. And like when the patient is in that good of spirits... In yeah. a bad way, like she wasn't a bad way. Like, no, she was. She, she was a rock star. Yeah, she was stuck there without us, and she was super happy. They were all so appreciative of us and you guys. Sure, uh, coming so quick. They thanked us and you so many times. Yeah, and we kept telling them like, hey, hey, "You are welcome." But this is what we are here for. Yeah, we are here for you. We are a public service, hundred percent. And you know what the moral of the story is? The next time you and your partner are loading the ambulance and look at those helmets. You'll decide to pack them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. every time, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, sp- speaking of appreciative, I can tell you who isn't appreciative. <laughs> People at the apartments right across the street from us. <laughs> so later that night, we had an alarm call to that that place. It was a resident that uh, set off 
the smoke alarm, and they were much less appreciative to have us there. It's crazy how, like, you can be the person who's causing the incident and be so put out by mm-hmm. firefighters coming to make sure that you're safe. So that's the roller coaster of emotions. You know, you have one one person that's out, you know, hiking and, you know, just out for a nice leisurely stroll with, with your dog. And next thing you know, you're on, you're on your ass and, you know, it's so thankful. And then the next one is, well, okay, now it's later in, in the evening. You just, you know, set off an alarm and you've evacuated how many families out, out, out of this complex yeah. and be so not care. Yeah. Just not yeah. give a shit. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's the, na- you know, that's the nature of the job and we show up with a smile every time. That's it. Yeah. It's uh, it's very hard sometimes, but yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you got to do it. And then sometimes you just say, you know what? I'm not dealing with you. I'm going to deal with a different person. Hundred percent. We had the, a few years back, same thing. We did it, went for an alarm, uh, and it was caused by cooking. And the guy met us, and he literally, as I'm stepping out of the truck as the officer, he's swearing at us and telling us to f off and this and that. What are you doing, taxpayers' money? Blah blah. blah. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, we're here for your fire. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? He's carrying. I was false by cooking. Uh, what the f are you guys doing? I'm like, hey man, I'm sorry. We didn't know that. All we get. Is it's an alarm and there's smoke and there's no callback. Yeah. Like, yeah, you need to call the alarm. So I tried to educate him and he's just belligerent. Like now he's stepping up. Now, now he's stepping up to me and getting aggressive. I was like, you know what? Yeah. I, and this is I was pretty fresh out of the coast and you know what? This is not happening. Yeah. <laughs> I am not about to get into a fist fight with you. Absolutely. So I called for the police, step back, and then I think the spouse finally realized, ooh, cops are coming, he's a drunk asshole. So she came out and talked to me and I talked her off the ledge like look, like I appreciate if it's a false alarm. We don't need to come traipsing through your house. Just sure. let us know politely, and we will absolutely leave you alone and clear. Yeah. No yeah. problems at all. Mm. It's a very, very similar situation when it was a steam from a shower that sets off the alarm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many people live in that building, but not everybody gets out because it seems to be every week we get an alarm there. <laughs> But yeah, very similar situation. Oh, I know it was me that caused the alarm. I'm not getting out of my apartment. And, you know, the chief is having an argument. Well, no, you need to get out of your apartment and come tell us what's going on. Or we're coming in. Or or (laughs) we have to come in. And you know what? That's There's always going to be those people um, getting that education out out there. I don't think there's any level of education that would you know, solve that issue, but, like, some people in, like, these apartment-style buildings, I mean, when it's, I don't know if they have fire drills, I mean, they, they have had enough in the past, <laughs> because they're always <laughs> outside for us, but, like, having it posted, like, making sure whoever they, they have as a, as a rep for the building that's looking after it, you know, just a quick... Hey, like if, if there is an event, like come out front, like meet up with the fire fire department. There's going to be some somebody coming first out of the chief or one of the duty chiefs for the week. Um, just come outside, meet them, explain what happened. Likely at that point, they're, they'll send everybody else back inside. But if you don't come out and you don't say anything, there's families and like like we we had an event where there was something that was actually burning in in a kitchen. Very very minimal stuff, but like there's like newborn babies that we 
have to evacuate out of the building mm-hmm. until we know 100% that this is a safe structure to, to go and you know, re-enter. And if you don't come and meet us outside and explain what happened, like, hey, no, sorry, it was me, pot on stove, you know, whatever, it's extinguished or it's a, non, it's a non-issue. If that was told to me as the first, first arriving officer, I would likely say, hey, everybody, let's just do a quick muster right right in this breezeway there's a nice entranceway that you can fit th- you know 30 people in there safely mm-hmm. stay right here we're going to go confirm but we have a report from the resident that it's a non non issue that's great but when you have no idea until you put eyes on it sadly like your safety is more important than you getting a bit chilly mm-hmm. and the last thing i i want to do is put that infant with their family and that you know elderly residents outside in the winter time for no for no reason at all yeah um so a little more public education yeah in in those type of buildings i think will go a long long way um and we we try to verbally do that every time that we're there and be very thankful to the people that are that are coming outside every time like we've been there four four or five times just this year alone and then multiple times prior so every time that we're there i always make a habit of like Hey guys, thanks again. Thanks a lot for uh, coming outside. I know you guys aren't, you know, aren't happy about this either, but you know, we're we're always going to be here to come, and we're very, very thankful and appreciative that we're not in there trying to search and make sure everybody's out. If this was a live event, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, absolutely. it's a. Thankfully, they have an alarm system that tells you which room to go check yeah. on rather than a general building alarm, and then you've got yeah. to go room by room by room. Some of the that older structures painful. like that, the older apartments are awful for that. Yeah, yeah you have no idea, right? It might give you a floor, or it might give you, like, west. Yeah, and then you're searching every every detector in the hallway and yeah. listening to the doors if you don't see one falls, and it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, you nailed it. It's, uh, it's public education, and then... Um, Unfortunately, which some people don't like, is the enforcement afterwards. Yes. Wrong. Which, I don't know about your community, but our community for sure, like, we were definitely lacking in the enforcement side Absolutely. of things. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we did a little bit of public education, a lot more the past few years for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, we kind of softly did the enforcement, but now we're enforcing a bit more, and it's, yeah. it's getting a lot better. For sure. Yeah, yeah we are as well. Um, we have a really good working relationship with um, the building management. Um, I know the chief was over there again today, today, and had another meeting with him, uh, just basically explaining like, Hey, like we've been here again four times already since the start of the year. I mean, that's quite frequent to one location and this is a new build. Um, and sadly two of them were complete false alarms with uncooperative residents. Mm -hmm. So with that now comes a bill. If yeah. something is on fire, I mean that's what you pay insurance for. Yeah, that's why that's why you're there. And we will never ever ever put a bill towards something like that. No. But if it's avoidable, and your people have been educated, which they all have, and you had your grace periods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, sadly, there there is. I mean, there's a cost. There is a cost for service, and you pay <clears throat> when it's an emergency, so you don't have to pay, mm-hmm. right? Like you pay your annual insurance. So when there is an emergency, there, there, there is no fee. But like Todd said, you've had a grace period. We've gotten through this. 
when we continue to have these false alarms and people that are not being uh, cooperative, I mean, sadly, every time a fire fire engine rolls with a duty officer or a chief going uh, direct, the cost that is incurred is about a thousand bucks. Like when you add everything up, right? So it has to go somewhere. Yeah. And sometimes the enforcement <clears throat> factor, I mean, you pay up to four calls, if two of them are finable calls, and they understand that. And they're, they're being really good about it, but I, I know there's things being being done, and they're taking it very, very serious. Yeah, that's so, good. Yeah, it's good. Um, we'll move on to, we were going to chat about some ice rescue um, last week, like I mentioned earlier. But we got cut short by a call. Um, so we actually, we're going to be doing, well, if we have ice left, it's been pretty mild. Uh, we're going to see what our ice look, looks like. But we have plans for the next two weeks to do some some ice practice, get some of our guys um, out on the ice, and do, do a lot of shore-based um, techniques that um, like non-certified people can still go and give hands-on and help. Because there's a ton of work that can happen shore base that assists those few people that are actually going out on onto the ice to rescue. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do that for the next couple of weeks, uh, and we're also going to be working on some force entry, which um, there's not a ton to chat chat about that. Just basically, hon- you know, honing skills, uh, getting hands-on tools. We we have a beautiful re rebreakable door. Uh, we we have the ability to to do these drills and really get that muscle memory. Um, you know, ha- you know, hammered in. But uh, why don't you tell us, Rob, about uh, the course that you took last, like not this weekend, but the previous, yeah, uh, and, and yeah. kind of what uh, what you envision our, our next couple weeks of training is going to look like. Yeah, um, I mean, with our ice rescue course that uh, myself and Gus went to, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> uh, for him and I, we've gone through the swift water stuff, so some of the, the classroom stuff was... You know, a little kind redundant. of redundant because yeah. we've done the swift water stuff, um, but some others in the class probably haven't. So you have to, of course, teach to your lowest mm-hmm. um, trained person. So, uh, you know, we went through some of that, um, just learning a, a few of the different type of rescue things we might be uh, involved in, um, some self-rescue stuff, uh, patient rescue um, that was classroom for the Saturday morning. The Saturday afternoon was getting out into the ice. Uh, it had been relatively cold for that week, and in the minus 15s for the weekend, we were out there, so it was really cold. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, we ended up on the lake uh, with about five or so inches thick ice. Uh, we chainsawed a rectangular opening in the ice to kind of work in and practice some of the self-rescue um a couple of different uh, things there uh, we practiced uh some patient rescues uh the next day as far as just some uh, uh rope rescue with a cinch uh or um you know maybe our self-rescue as well with a uh, carabiner on PFDs uh, for a front rescue and just assisting the patient out of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 
uh, we worked on a couple of tactics using um, some cross ropes with uh, semi screws and vector pulls. Uh, maybe you have a, a deer or a something in the in the water that needs help getting out. So it's just a matter of getting that rescue rope underneath them and vector pulling to try and get the feet out of the water and, and try and get some stability on the ice and mm -hmm. out. Um, so with those types of those types of rescues, I mean, again, the ice being thick, um, there's less chance of the ice breaking as you walk on it or, or move on it. So uh, it was fairly easy that way. <coughs> uh, we, we played around with some uh, ladders as far as a, a roof ladder and extension ladder um, being able to do just a ladder bridge um, to be safely where the opening was and and do possibly a patient rescue that way uh, we worked on uh, doing a like a another ladder bridge that's more like a draw bridge where you utilize your your um, your belay line and a pike pole and just kind of creating a pivot point um, and on the, using, on the shelf of the ice yeah on the shelf of the ice and your your rungs of your ladder and then using your rope and some manpower to basically safely lower that down without having to go too far out onto the ice maybe you're working on an unstable portion of the ice again all of this stuff being worked on as um, trained people to go out onto the ice, mm -hmm. not just working with your untrained people that are going to be shore-based. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think we'll, we'll talk about some of those rescues in our upcoming training uh, with our guys, show them what they can expect to see, uh, probably from on-ice rescue, but a lot of the stuff we're going to work with them again is uh, same stuff we'll be doing through our swift water stuff is shore-based, um, you know, we talk about uh, talk, you know, uh, talk, throw, reach, then go. Mm -hmm. You know, go is our last resort for for any type of water-based rescue. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, just a lot of that stuff we're, we're learning. Um, I know that some of our guys have done the ice rescue stuff uh, in previous years, and they ended up with a little bit different ice conditions where the ice was not as thick and they were breaking through as they would go along. Um, we did not have that. So they got to experience that and figure out what worked for them in being able to get out of the ice and work with the ice or patients on the ice. Mm -hmm. um, again, we, we don't, we have our lake um, and portions of the lake I would expect people to be out on are, areas where it's shallow still if you broke through but there are areas further out where it has frozen over the past couple of weeks mm -hmm. and you could get out into the middle and and have an event sure um, and we, <clears throat> yeah we have had those events here in the past we have had one before um i don't know if you were involved ash i was I no. involved with uh, again, we we had no formal training on ice rescue stuff, but we were called to um, the the park at the beach where a kid had gone out on the lake 
fell through as it had gotten thinner, wasn't paying attention to the ice and fell through. Um, he had been in the water for at least a half an hour um, before we got there and was basically just arms up on the shore and and that was that's where he stayed. Um, yeah, wasn't able to self-rescue. <clears throat> wasn't able to self-rescue. Had the strength to hold himself up with his with his up, upper body <clears throat> on the shelf shelf of the ice, but couldn't pull himself up. Um, yeah. And being in there for, for that amount of time, um, I mean, you're starting to lose ability oh, to... Yeah. You're losing you know, dexterity. You know, motor skills, your ability to, to think and process properly. Um, yeah, I mean, the self-rescue thing, I think that's, you know, the biggest thing to, to, to really hit on is that... Um, talk, throw, and then go yeah. aspect, and really getting that dialed into our guys and uh, to us as leadership. If we're going to be there for first on scene, um, getting patient contact doesn't mean that you're physically touching them, but yelling out to them, assuring yeah. them that hey, like we are here, we have a team coming, uh, we are coming to you, and you know, like, are you able to climb out? Yes, no. Uh, hey, if I throw this to you, are you able to grab it? Yes, yeah. no. Uh, and then lastly, okay, now now we're going to go out and we are going to try to uh, to make make, make, make a rescue crap. attempt, yeah. right? I think, too, you got to realize your patient's been in the water for X amount of time. And if they are losing uh, mobility, dexterity, feeling mm-hmm. um, in their, their extremities, you throw a throw bag at them, um, you're going to find out quickly, too, whether they're going to be able to assist... Sure. You know, they may not be able to have any strength in their arms because they've been holding themselves out yeah, that's right. for so long. Or their hands are so cold, they can't grip that rope. Um, or they've been in there so long with the hypothermia, now they've got this tunnel vision where they don't, maybe they don't even see you anymore. Sure. You're yeah. right there at them if you have to go out. And they are super focused on making sure just that staying they don't, alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's um, there's different levels of uh, hypothermia, right? So, and that's part of the assessment is, <clears throat> you know, we want to do that prompt the self rescue, maybe try a throw bag, but depending on what we're seeing, you know, if they're low in the water and just clinging onto that shelf, they are not going to let go of that shelf. Yep. And if they do, they're slipping under. That's right. So, depending on our time too, it's all that information we need. Mm-hmm. So you may quickly within the matter of, of moments realize okay we, all these steps aren't going to work yeah so then we're going, we're going straight to rescue yeah, yeah exactly yeah so knowing how to read that knowing those key signs to recognize early and then come coming up with a plan mm-hmm. um and depending like you're saying depending on, on what type of ice we're working with as yeah. well mm-hmm. so can we safely just make a ladder bridge or, or use a ladder technique that said to get out them depending on the distance yeah, yeah. if they're way out <laughs> Then yeah, we're we're gonna be going, and then we're assessing the ice as we're going out as yeah. the ice rescuers, and that's gets into okay now. Do we need to throw an anchor in the ice? Yeah, right. So things like that. So there, there's yeah. many techniques we've learned with mm-hmm. ice rescue, and just choosing which one to use for, for that sure. scenario. I was I was really interested uh, back in uh, November December when it got extremely cold when we're down to the minus twenties thirties yeah for good week or so mm-hmm. um where we actually had portions of the river starting to freeze over and then you get that snowfall on top of it and it made me wonder if anybody thought it was actually safe enough to go in um yeah. i would actually have liked to have seen what the ice would have been like 
Um, Out on the river. Yeah, because it doesn't happen all that often here for the river to freeze. And for it to freeze, it takes that extreme cold. Um, It would have been interesting to to work out a plan of what would we do, how would we do. Really, it'd be no different than a swift water rescue. Um, Sure. You're just having to deal with with cold. With cold Um, ice on. Where we have dry suits, we don't have cold weather dry suits. Um, And really, for any of those types of rescues, if we're going out on the lake, you're going out and you're coming back. You're not going out and staying for a long period of time. Where, Todd, I think you guys have the ice commanders. We have the ice commanders, yeah. But it's still the same principle. Like, even how warm they are and how buoyant they are, it's it's still, we're, we're hoping to make a quick grab. Like, yeah. we're not setting up for shop out there in this nice warm suit. Whereas the other dry suits are totally sufficient for what you're doing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And you guys, uh, like unlike us, you guys have the rapid deployment boat. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that's... That's really cool. I know that would be something nice to have, not just for ice rescue, but something we can utilize for swift water as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for a, a just a, a patient across, um, yeah, yeah. The the RDC <coughs> is uh, it's definitely the safest platform for an ice rescue um, because you know you can get your two rescuers out there uh, very quickly, and if you get that broken ice where you're breaking through. You know, you have the optional paddle, and you're boing, you're not in. Yeah. You know, and then getting out to the to the patient, and you just you can pull them, put the harness on them, the cinch device, and 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 pull them up on it, and then boom, your team, your shore based team, if you're close enough, is is pulling you out, or you have the other two guys with an anchor point, and then now they're yeah. pulling you out to yeah. stir surface or steady surface ice, right? Yeah. Um, but again, with that, you know, if something fails, what if something screws up and we can't inflate yeah. it, you yeah. know, then you're, you're using other techniques and other methods. Um, or if, you know, you just can't get the, the cinch on them and you have to enter the water, well, then that's plan B. Now you're entering the water. Now you're getting in behind them, putting that, um, that rescue cinch around them and pulling them up yeah. and boosting them over that shelf ledge. There's, there's many, many styles, yeah. like everything we talk about, the different tools in the toolbox, right? Yep. I wished we had thought of, and I think the guys in the last rescue course did think about it because they had taken the bush truck and so they had it um, on the truck at the time was we have the little vent enter ladder right <clears throat> uh, the VIS ladder um, which is basically was an old roof ladder that we cut in half mm-hmm. so it actually has uh, one half of it has still has the hooks on it sure um, and I think they used that in that a uh, couple years ago to put into the water, put a patient out, tie a rope on and drag out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we did a roof ladder, a full-size roof ladder, where you can put it into the water. It touched the bottom where we were. And basically, it turns it into a sled on the ice. Yeah, once you're on the rung, you yank them out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's great because you just pull that right across the ice, mm-hmm. and it slides real, real easy. Yeah, a couple of years ago, <coughs> we were doing some ice practices <clears throat> on our lake, and a couple of your guys came down. Uh, with that as well yeah and uh, they use that and it, wor- it works good it's like any tool you know if if you need to do that style uh, if you're putting something in the like spine boards have worked I've seen other people yeah. use yeah. spine boards as long as it's tied off and you can get it in and, and push them up and get them over that ledge now you're sliding them out right yeah sure. so that short ladder is another great tool that you could use right yeah. mm-hmm. again, I, again it's in my opinion it, it's all depending on the patient like 
what's going to work for this? Do we have time to pull out some other stuff, or do we just yep. need to run out there with our with our rope and cinch device and get in the water and pull them? Like it, it all depends on mm-hmm. on what's happening. Because yeah. uh, hypothermia is, is the biggest <coughs> biggest uh, issue there. Yeah, absolutely. And the time in the water. But. Yeah, and f- and for our training, like for us, there's only a select few that have any water or ice rescue training now. Um, for us to teach what's going to happen and what we're going to do, I think a lot of it is going to be based <clears throat> in the bays, <clears throat> working on throw bagging and mm-hmm. tying a, a couple of knots um, if we need to. And that's really all that that's going to be. Um, and then we'll try and set something up where we can go out to the water so that we're not standing outside mm-hmm. in the cold for two hours no. trying to teach stuff. because. Nobody's going to learn anything that way when they're freezing cold for, yeah, you know, with, with the suits, yeah, we have to do a lot of the, the in-house and go over oh, the dry land stuff. And then do you know it. what? I think, I think that's just it. You know, get, get guys out there, talk about it, go, go through some of the techniques that you can, you know, use as a shore, shore-based rescuer. Um, and then, you know, bust out there, get, get, you know, yourself geared up here, buzz out there. Do a couple quick rotations so so guys get eyes on what it looks like to do like a quick and dirty rescue or just some of the quick techniques that you know they might be seeing out there. Um, it's just like we do with swift water. There's a handful of guys that are gonna be going in, uh, but there's a ton of value to having hands on mm-hmm. on that shore and having them know and see what kind of value that they that they still bring mm-hmm. in that rescue event. Uh, is super super key so yeah i I think you know you guys are going to have a lot of fun over the next couple weeks you know again we'll uh be banging out some uh force entry and we might get into maybe some some soft entry stuff as well we'll kind of see how how the night goes but uh yeah i'm I'm really looking forward to practice the next couple weeks i think it's gonna be a lot of fun i think one of the the interesting things that i took away from that too was our instructor was talking about it. You know how in the movies you see somebody's trapped underneath the ice and they're busting through <laughs> and getting out, out of the ice like, sure. they're, yeah, yeah. like they're some superhero. And he's like, really, if you feel the underside of that ice, it is glass smooth. Oh, yeah. And I got a chance to feel underneath there without going under and getting trapped. Mm-hmm. But there is no purchase point. There is no way no. you can grab anything. If no. you're under the ice, you're under the ice. There's, <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. it was interesting to feel just how smooth that actually is. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I mean, I would hope to never be in that position, but I bet you it's really eerie. Yeah. You know, going up cold to the surface and it's just that pane of glass. Yeah. Um, yeah, crazy. So, I mean, that's uh, kind of a snapshot looking forward of uh, what uh, we have going on there. So, yeah, props to uh, Rescue Canada for putting on that uh, course. Awesome information that you know the guys brought brought back. So, and then I think, in uh, two weeks' time, we're doing a train the trainer for ice rescue. That's right. Yeah, you guys are putting that on down uh, south there, and yeah. hopefully, hopefully there's still ice. ice. <laughs> yeah, you might have to go a little higher up, but yeah, there's there's opportunity in the valley for sure to, to to find ice pretty late late in the season. So we are. I actually just saw everywhere else said that we're. Expecting more winter, and then I saw an article today that the one in the Okanagan saw the shadow or whatever means uh, that we're supposed to be sp- oh, yeah. early spring. Early spring. I, don't I mean, know. looking at the weather coming up, it does call for pretty mild. So, yeah. like, we're well above freezing every, every day now. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it is what it is. 
Exactly. I, I saw my travel trailer today. I'm like, man, I could go out for a camp here pretty quick. <laughs> I am itching. But, uh, yeah, so that's kind of uh, a look back at the week uh, and a bit of a look forward to what uh, we have planned. Let's, uh, let's call it there and let's roll into some uh, shout-outs. Uh, uh, Rob, tell us a bit about <coughs> Modus. You have a Modus Decal on the back of your phone. so I have a Modus Decal on the back of my phone. The old decal. Modus, they have... Of course, their claim to fame, the Snagger tool, uh, but they have a lot more. I was actually just <clears throat> transferring over my, what I call my pocket protector. It's uh, my <laughs> little grab bag with uh, a Snagger and some various small hand tools. <clears throat> uh, so they've got a lot of, they got a lot of stuff in bags, gear bags, um, tool bags, uh, Mask bags, I think they have. They do now, yeah. <clears throat> Mask bag, you got your wedges, your mini spanners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You name it, man. They, they're coming they got out some new it. product that is uh, launching there. That's pretty cool. It looks like it, yeah. Yeah, with vest for uh, training. Yeah, for training yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Lots, lots, of, lots of cool stuff. Yeah, so if you like what you see there, what's the discount code? DTFF5. Correct. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll chat about Manscaped. Um Classic male grooming. Um, we just wrapped up Firefighter Cancer <coughs> Awareness Month. Uh, but, I mean, every month should be Cancer Awareness Month for yep. everybody, especially firefighters. Uh, the best way to um, aid in personal hygiene and grooming is keeping that area clean. Uh, we're rocking the uh, lawnmower 4.0. It uh, keep, keeps everything nice, nice and tidy. The best, best way to keep it clean is to not have as much stuff down down there to wash. <laughs> so I was, I was gonna say my little guy made the uh, media, but uh, that sounds a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I should say true. my little action figure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, my my wife put out a quick call on Facebook. Anybody have a uh, uh, firefighter figurine? Um, I forget how she word is. Anybody have a firefighter, a small action figure? Yeah. And Scott chimes back in, don't you have like a life-size one? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, yeah, so we use Rob's guy, which I keep forgetting to bring here for you. I got it. Hey? I got it. Oh, do you? You brought it back. It was in my locker. I did put it in your locker. You're right. Oh, man, I am forgetful. (laughs) Okay, I brought that back. Um, Yeah, so Rob's little guy is all all up the internet now. But uh, yeah, so... Um, if you haven't take, taken advantage, uh, DTFF20 is going to get you 20% off your order. It'll also give you free shipping. Uh, we're rocking their product. Love it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? It's uh, Nothing is 100% cut proof, but uh, the design that they have, um, you know, just <coughs> the, the level of, like, I'm not anywhere near as stressed. Anytime that you have a, a buzzing blade down there, you're a little on edge, and it calms the nerve. It definitely the calms the product. nerve. Man, you're man. rocking the gas-powered hedge trimmer. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, <coughs> after a long Canadian winter. <laughs> but yeah, Man- Manscaped, awesome company, awesome product. Uh, check them out. Uh, let's uh, stop, stop the bleed, Rob. Let's redeem yourself. Uh, direct pressure. Mm-hmm. Wound packing. Yep. Tourniquet. Perfect. Boom. Uh, and if you want some extra courses on that, you can find um, Todd and Scott put on uh, basically the, the entire Stop the Bleed course 
and we have that up on our YouTube, so check that out. And uh, if you want some awesome hands-on, Dr. Nick out Mm -hmm. of uh, the Kootenays. Todd, tell us a bit about Dr. Nick and uh, what he has to offer. Yeah, Dr. Nick Sparrow um, out of the Kootenays. Uh, He runs uh, Kerpa as well, the Kootenay Emergency Response Physician Vehicle. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he'll layer um, with the ambulance for all the high acuity events. Uh, they're a non-profit organization, but also he is part of the ATAC group um, out of the UK. Um, mm-hmm. So they have a division up here in, in Canada, in BC, and he runs an RTAC course, so the Rescue, Trauma, and Casualty Care. And the RTAC program is fantastic. So they offer an online um, portion of it now as well, uh, which we've talked about in the past. So reach out to the ATAC group, or uh, and then in, in the ATAC group website, you can find a link to the RTAC information as well. And uh, then uh, an email link to Dr. Nick Sparrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that course, of course, uh, it's an online component. Um, probably one of the best online courses out there uh, for emergency responders and stuff. It really focuses on those the high acuity, you know, emergency scene assessment stuff and patient assessment models. Uh, very well done course, and then a really good practical component as well for the scenario based training. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, check them out. At uh, the ATAC group. Absolutely. Uh, and then uh, we got uh, the Tan, Tan Rosen Band. Um, tell us a little bit about that, Rob. Tanner Olson. They're a fantastic group. Uh, we, again, we were privileged to have them at our 100 year party last year. Um, we have the honor of having them back for our spring seminar this mm-hmm. year. Absolutely. Um, they are going to put on an amazing show. Uh, I believe Tanner says that he's going to double up on the volume. So that's. Yeah, they are looking to put on an amazing oh, yeah. show. Yeah. Awesome. Light, light show is going to be doubled. Audio is going to be doubled. Oh, yeah. uh, awesome party in the park that we're putting on. Uh, we, we couldn't be happier to have Tanner back. Uh, it's going to be a hell of an event. Yep. Uh, so if you guys have been listening and have had a chance to listen to his music, uh, he's on various media platforms for streaming, for downloading uh, content there. Um, but also, you know, if you happen to be in Canada and you want to book them, check them out. Uh, mm-hmm. They're sure they would be happy to plan a gig. I know that they are always up for planning shows and mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. They're, they're they're doing a ton of touring, uh, lots lots of live shows. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you have a chance to see him anywhere, um, I would definitely do so. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you are in uh, the Pacific Northwest area and you want to see him <coughs> and also take some amazing firefighter training, uh, we are doing our spring seminar this year. As Rob said, he's going to be here playing that uh, the Saturday night, parking the park after. Uh, but May 5, 6, 7, 2023, um, all of our spring seminar. Uh, it's going to be upwards of 24, 25 uh, live hands-on sessions. I think we have almost half a dozen live fire sessions planned. Um, auto extrication, stabilization. Uh, we've got an active shooter. We've got um, searches. We've got, oh man, Fortis, uh, our local gas and electrical company, is putting on multiple firefighter-driven events with live fire, with live power. Uh, we've got uh, chemical spill. Oh, man, we got a ton of stuff. Um, we've got some river rescue. 
uh, tons, tons, tons. So what, what this looks like is you're going to get um, nothing more than a hearty high five at the end of it, but a ton of tips and tricks that you can take back and see if it's something that you enjoy. See if it's, you know, some, some small some small things that you can take back to your department. Maybe there's some, some things that you were unaware of. Maybe, maybe it's just a bit of a refresher. Um, at about an hour-long course or an hour-long session per session. Um, and, you know, again, there's there's no certificate that comes at, at, at the end of this, but um, we got qualified instructors on every single uh, session. And you're, you're getting that, that quick look into what, um, you know, uh, BIS is, what a, um, like, an electrical uh, down power line and all of the, the safety that needs to come along mm-hmm. with that, what a, um, a fire on a gas main uh, coming up to your, your uh, residence looks like and how you have to attack that, what... Um, vehicle stabilization looks like maybe you're not super familiar with hands-on uh, stabilization this is going to be a, a quick hour I mean and, and an hour goes by fast and we've just bumped this up from 45 minutes to an hour just so we can focus a little bit heavier per session and just kind of give everybody a little more to put in their tool toolbox for the next time that they have a call or maybe like I was saying maybe you don't do a lot of that rescue maybe you don't do a lot of that technique but it's something that you can take back and start to chat about and start to put into your training. And, you know, sooner, sooner than later, now that is in your rotation. And that's something that you guys can offer uh, to your uh, community. Mm-hmm. So uh, May 567, uh, you can find us on Facebook for registration if you are interested. Uh, Oliver Spring Seminar uh, 2023, if you find us there, we will be sharing that information out on our social medias as well. Um, we'd love to see you guys there. We are getting a ton of uh, r- registrars coming through. Um, we are, effort for this time of year, we are well above the numbers that we usually have, which is awesome to see. Um, so it, it will fill up. So if you are interested, definitely reach out. Uh, we can give you any information that, you, that you're after and we'd love to see you here. Uh, and then again, lastly, uh, you still have us. Uh, you found us on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Um, follow us on YouTube. Give us a, a comment, a, a like. Uh, give us some uh, some views. We want to keep pumping those YouTube numbers up. Uh, it's going to help us out. Um, definitely appreciate uh, everybody that's t- taking the time to, to give us a like, share, and a subscribe across all of those platforms. It just helps us continue to get out in front of more people and, uh, yeah, continues to, uh, you know, give, give us the drive to do what we're doing here. So we appreciate that. Uh, anything more from you guys? No, that is it. Perfect. Thank you. Good night. Rob. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. As always, stay safe. Stay DTFF. Stay DTFF.